Hello, this is episode 11 of this podcast. I have broken this one down into three parts. This is the case of Peter Sutcliffe, known as the Yorkshire Ripper. This is part one, and it will deal with the background of Peter Sutcliffe and the lead up to the crimes that he was committed of. Peter Sutcliffe was jailed in 1981 for the murder of 13 women and the attempted murder of seven others. He is currently serving 20 concurrent life sentences, which has now actually been increased since 2010 to a whole life tariff, which means that he will never be released from prison. Most of his crimes took place in West Yorkshire, but some took place in Manchester. now going to look into the known background of serial killer Peter Sutcliffe in more detail. He was born on the 2nd of June 1946 in Bingley, West Yorkshire, England. At the time of his arrest he was in his mid-30s and was working as a heavy goods lorry driver and had been for some time. He was married to a lady called Sonia. They did not have any children. Peter Sutcliffe was brought up by his parents, his father John Sutcliffe and his mother Kathleen. Peter Sutcliffe left school at the age of 15 and had a series of jobs afterwards. He worked as a grave digger in the 1960s. He then worked in a factory for about two years, up until April of 1973. He then worked in another factory, working nights for a while, until February of 1975. He was made redundant from this job, and with the redundancy pay, he trained to become a heavy goods vehicle driver. Unfortunately for him, he was caught stealing from his first driving job. He'd stolen some used tyres, so he ended up getting the sack. He was unemployed for a while, roughly between March 1976 and October of the same year. He did manage to find another driving job at this point with a local company, Clark Holdings Limited, which was based in Bradford at the time, which was not far away from where he lived. It has been reported that when Peter Sutcliffe was younger he had used prostitutes but it is believed that at one point he had been conned out of some money which had made him resentful towards them. Peter Sutcliffe had met Sonia on the 14th February of 1967 and they got married on the 10th of August of 1974. They had tried to start a family shortly after getting married, but Sonia suffered several miscarriages. They were later told that that she would not be able to have children. At this point, Sonia decided to train as a teacher and qualified in 1977. They were able to buy a house in Bradford in 1977 due to her salary and Peter's work as a HTV driver. They were still living in the same house in 1981 when Peter Sutcliffe was arrested for murder. It has been reported that Peter Sutcliffe did not show any signs of abnormal behaviour in his early adolescence. However, when he got a bit older, and largely partly due to his work as a gravedigger, he did develop a dark sense of humour. He also liked to watch people having sex and he would try and watch local prostitutes having sex with their clients. Although some people did appear to consider Peter Sutcliffe a little odd, he did not really stand out in any way more than anyone else. 
His marriage to Sonia did have many issues, such as an alleged affair that Sonia had had with a local man. Also, the problems with not being able to have children must have been hard, especially because they had previously tried to have children. They had suffered from several miscarriages and then had been told that she would not be able to have children at all. Sonia Sutcliffe was also later diagnosed as having schizophrenia. This was only diagnosed two years after they had got married. She was considered by many people who knew the couple to be domineering towards Peter. She was also considered to be a difficult person to get on with. There is, however, no suggestion at all that Sonia Sutcliffe knew what her husband was getting up to over the years. Peter Sutcliffe murdered many women. His known victims are as follows. Wilma McCann, who was 28 years old at the time of her death. Emily Jackson, who was 42 years old. Irene Richardson, who died at the age of 28. Patricia Atkinson, who was 32 years old. Also, Jake MacDonald, who was only 16 years old and his youngest murder victim. Jean Jordan, who was 20 years old. Yvonne Pearson, who had been 21 years old at the time. Helen Richter, who was just 18 years old at the time. Vera Millwood had been 40 years old. Josephine Whittaker had been 19 years old at the time of her murder. Barbara Leach was murdered at the age of 20. Marguerite Wallace had been 47 years old. And finally, Jacqueline Hill had been 20 years old when Peter Sutcliffe murdered her. What made Peter Sutcliffe decide to go out and attack women has never really been established and the fact that he carried out his murderous attacks over many years is hard to believe. Along with many men in the area, Peter Sutcliffe did get questioned by the police who were assigned to catch the so-called Yorkshire Ripper. Also, the investigation into catching the serial killer was not considered to be very successful and many reports have been made into the failings of the police force and new recommendations have been made in the way which crimes, especially murders, are investigated. Some of the problems that the police faced had were due to not having up-to-date technology. Computers were not being used in the way that they are now. Lots of information was collected by individual officers, but they were still using index cards, which made cross-referencing very difficult. Junior police officers were not always listened to properly by their senior officers, and concerns were not always looked into either. Many concerns would be raised about the police investigation and mistakes were found to have been made overall. In fact, Peter Sutcliffe was only caught, not from good police work, but because he was apprehended one night when he was in his car with a prostitute. Peter Sutcliffe used hammers as well as knives to kill or injure many of his victims. At its peak, two police investigations had more than 150 officers working on the Yorkshire Ripper case. The police were also plagued with hoax letters and also a hoax voice recording, which falsely claimed to be that of the killer. This had deep problems for the investigation because some men were let go just because they had a different accent to to the one on the recording. The police did have something of a break well, it should have been a break. In 1977, when he they found a £5 note with one of the victim's bodies, 
This was during a time when workers still got paid, usually at the end of the week, in cash. The note would end up having been traced back via the bank to the company that had recently issued that batch. It was the company that Peter Sutcliffe worked for. He was questioned, as were many men at the time, but he had an alibi for the time of that particular murder. He had supposedly been attending a family party at the time. Overall, the police would end up speaking to Peter Sutcliffe on at least nine occasions over the years when the attacks were still happening. He was never considered a very likely suspect, however. Also, Sonia Sutcliffe had provided her husband with many of his alibis. Also, they had no evidence that really pointed to him or anyone else for that matter. An acquaintance of Peter Sutcliffe, a man called Trevor, even reported him to the police because he had begun to suspect that Peter was the Yorkshire Ripper. But paperwork relating to this report somehow went missing. The police did have a lot of paperwork and reports that had built up over the years and without a good computer system at the time, information sometimes did appear to get overlooked or lost. It's amazing that someone can murder people and then just carry on about their normal lives. Peter Sutcliffe managed to hold down his job, his relationship with his wife and other family members, as well as his relationships with friends and work colleagues. And although one person had suspected him, he was not considered to be the Yorkshire Ripper by most people who knew him. Because the murders and the other attacks took place in the late 70s and early 80s in England, the police at the time did not always consider prostitutes to be totally innocent victims either. In fact, when one of the victims was discovered to have been a 16-year-old schoolgirl, the police's attitudes was reported to have been very different towards her than the previous victims, who were all considered to have been prostitutes, although some of the women were not, as it turns out later. Some of the victims were not full-time prostitutes, but only turned to sex work when they really needed the money to help support their families. As is quite typical, even when the prostitutes were informed of all the dangers, they still went out to earn money. Some of them had no other option and some had addictions such as alcohol or drugs. Two sisters tried to put some safety measures in place, but unfortunately one of them still managed to to become a victim. The conditions that the families lived in were often not very good. The housing was often inadequate Their relationships had often broken down and the fathers would not always pay for their children's upkeep, which meant that the mothers often did have to, you know, earn some money to to pay for everything for themselves and for their children. Many of the children who were left behind must have suffered so much, not only at the hands of the Yorkshire Ripper, but by the circumstances that had led them to have to fend for themselves or eventually go into the care system. They also had the stigma which existed that their mothers had worked the streets and had become victims of a serial killer. The fear that must have been there at the time in the Yorkshire area of England must have been huge, not knowing who was harming all of these victims and not knowing if the police were ever going to be able to catch the person must have been awful for so many people and for so many and for so many years. 
There were some signs, according to people who knew Peter Sutcliffe, that he had got violent tendencies. It has been said by a friend of his, the same person who eventually reported his concerns to the police, that one evening they had been driving with, with the friend Trevor in Trevor's minivan when Peter Sutcliffe suddenly asked him to stop so that he could get out of the van. Peter then walked up St Paul's Road in Bradford until he was out of sight. Once he returned to the van, Peter was out of breath and it appeared to Trevor that Peter had been running. Peter instructed his friend to drive off quickly. He then informed Trevor that he had followed a prostitute into a garage and had then hit her over the head using his sock with a stone at the bottom that he had picked up along the way. This was backed up the next day because the woman reported the attack to the police. The police visited Peter Sutcliffe after eliminating Trevor from the the crime. The woman had noted down the van's licence plate. Sutcliffe admitted hitting the woman but claimed he had used his hand and not any other weapon. The police had told him that the woman, who was a known prostitute, did not actually want to press charges against him. This incident had happened prior to all of the attacks that later linked Peter Sutcliffe to the Yorkshire Ripper crimes. This attack had taken place in 1969, so it was some six years before his murder spree had begun. He obviously already had a problem with women and was already a very violent man. During the police investigation that would follow, the police came under a lot of criticism. Times were very different then and computers were not readily available. So a lot of evidence and reports were on paper or on the index cards that I'd mentioned earlier. Many tips and reports as well would have come in over the years. It has been reported that the incident room's floor had actually to be reinforced due to the weight of the paper that was needed by the investigators on the Yorkshire Ripper case at the time. Television appeals would go on, go out to the general public asking for any information. These generated many thousands more documents. It would later transpire that some information that had been obtained had not been properly looked at due to the sheer overload of paper and lack of adequate cross-referencing available at the time. Also afterwards, once Peter Sutcliffe had been convicted and put away for life, criticism of the Assistant Chief Constable George Oldfield came about because it was felt that too much focus had been given to the hoax tape. The accent on the tape was a Wearside accent and not the same as the accent that Peter Sutcliffe had. The eventual report into the handling by the police of the case was quite damning. In this first part of this podcast on Peter Sutcliffe, this so-called Yorkshire Ripper, I focused on his family life and his work life. Also, I included some examples of Peter Sutcliffe's behaviour prior to becoming a serial killer. In the next part of this episode, I will focus on his many victims, the known victims who either were murdered or who actually ended up surviving an attack from the Yorkshire Ripper. I will go into some de- some of the details that are known about the victims and also how they were sadly attacked and often murdered by Peter Sutcliffe. Some of his victims who survived the attack were left with horrible injuries and would take a long time to recover. Some would end up with injuries that would never heal. 
their lives and the lives of their families were devastated by what this evil killer did during those years in the 70s and the early 80s. It is also hard to think that the killer was questioned on many occasions by the police, but for reasons that would come out later, he was not considered a suspect at the time. There was a police officer who did suggest looking further into Peter Sutcliffe, but his superior officer did not appear to follow through. I will look into the police handling of the case in the final part and also the many reports that came out afterwards. The police did have a difficult job and in the UK we have not had that many serial killers over the years operating. So many officers would not have had very much experience in this department. The senior officers, however, would have had, in my opinion anyway, more experience and should have managed the situation a little bit better. As I said previously, it is worth remembering that computers were were only just being used and many businesses or workplaces did not have them yet. It would be a few more years before they became the tools that they are today. People also did not have mobile phones. They weren't readily available. Some people had the odd car phone, but that was it. Some people did not even have a house phone, a landline, although a lot of people did. The technology available in general as well was not as good. DNA evidence was not available and would not be available for quite a few years after the arrest of Peter Sutcliffe. I found this case very interesting and I am glad that times in some respects have changed. Prostitutes are referred to as sex workers now, although the same risks do apply and although the police do have to take crimes that are committed against them seriously, I am certain that some prejudices still exist. Credits for this part of this podcast go to wikipedia, murderpedia.org and allthatsinteresting.com. Thank you very much.